Oh, hey, everybody. It's the inaugural episode of Clothed Men Talk About Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, I'm Chris Small. And I am Ephraim Ellis. I also, I think we should talk about the name of the podcast. I think it should be Fully Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. Are you fully clothed right now? I am fully clothed right now. I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing, oh, wait. Mm, no, I'm in my gym jams. I don't know this is I this is an audio format. So right now we have to establish trust with the listener. So for, for the most part, we are both fully clothed and you're just going to have to trust us as we take yeah, you. For the most part, for the most part. Yeah. As we take you guys uh, along an audio journey of the Bare Naked Ladies, a delightful and uh, little known Canadian band. You know, I think they came out with a couple of albums here and there. They've had a couple. They've had a few. Yeah. So no, they, they've had more than that. So Ephraim, uh, you are a Bare Naked Ladies fan. Yeah, man. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, that's one of the reasons why I uh, wanted to start this podcast. Checks out, checks out. Exactly, story checks out. Well, yeah, the, the reason, of course, you know, aside of the silliness, we're both, uh, we've been friends for about 15 years now. God, I met you 15 mm-hmm. years ago now at this stage. And time both- is really, really weird because I, like, it feels like, it's like yeah, it's because we've been friends for 15 years, but it feels like it was just yesterday that I met you and other things that happened in my life significantly later feel much longer ago than I met you. Like, I feel like the rocket scientists had our last show, like, I don't know, like six months ago, but that was what, four years, five years. We used to be in a sketch troupe together. Comedians doing podcasts. Comedians doing podcasts. And yes, time is like that Amy Adams movie Arrival, where they just jump from <laughs> thing to thing. At the end of it, you put together your own timeline and just uh, for shits and giggles. So this is a choose your own timeline of, of friendship, I guess. But yes, I, everything is completely and utterly out of order, which is why we're doing this podcast in the format of going track by track through <laughs> albums released chronologically. Don, Definitely do not care about the timeline. This is a... <laughs> It's a non-linear slash just kidding, very linear podcast. Yeah, there you uh, go. And, and the real reason that we really wanted to do this is, I mean, if, we'll, we'll get into it. There's a couple of really kind of mission statements, I guess. That sounds really, really wonky of why we wanted to do this. Uh, primarily, this is a know, very important podcast about a uh, alternative rock band from the, <laughs> from the Canadian 90s. They were saying real important things. And today, that's also an important thing. And also today, they're still very active. Anyway, we're getting away. Mission statements, go. Um, well, the, the one thing, you know, we're both boys from Toronto. You are still there, of course, but I'm uh, a couple of kilometers away, a couple of towns over in uh, Melbourne, Australia. So mm-hmm. we miss you very much. That's, oh, thanks. Now, now that's tough. And it's sometimes hard to connect with friends. So you know, this podcast is an excuse just to hang out with a dear friend who I miss a lot on a weekly basis. And secondly, you know, one of the first things that we kind of bonded over when we became friends was our mutual love of the bare naked ladies. It was one of the first things I think that when we were getting to know each other, we just kind of um, hit that groove, started talking about, you know, the albums, the band, and then just kind of went, oh, wow, like this person really knows a lot about this music that I also really like. About. Yeah, very much. Like, I mean, like, there's probably like, um, there's probably like, I don't know, five to 12 bands I know the bad, the catalog of, like the back of my hand backwards and forwards. And the Bare Naked Ladies is one of them. And it was, uh, yeah. And like when we just would talk about music when we were first getting to know each other uh, and talk about, you know, like bands we like and like albums that meant something to us, like uh, the Bare Naked Ladies just kept coming up. 
And uh, yeah, so I think it just made sense when I was thinking like, oh, if I ever wanted to do a music podcast where I like did a deep dive into a into a single band, like they would be up there for like, not just because like they mean a lot to me as an individual, um, but also like, I feel like they're, uh, they're not as, uh, like they're, they're not as well known outside of Canada. Uh, and kind of like they and there's kind of like a, an impression that uh, a lot of people have of the band that I don't think is necessarily reflective of uh, really um, kind of like the, the the depth of their catalog, which I was kind of excited to dive into. Definitely. I think that was the thing that really just kind of sped up my urgency to do this. I said the people mm-hmm. must know it was um, I, I remember a song came on and I was sitting with some friends here in Melbourne and one of them said, Oh, is this a bare naked lady song? And I said, no, no, it, it's not. He's like, Oh, but it must be another one hit wonder band. And I just kind of went, wait a minute, record scratching. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. How dare you? I had been thinking recently though that, Oh, like, Oh man, like how much of all of their bank accounts is just big bang money. Like they're like they have like they have such a deep bat catalog going back decades, like fifteen albums, several hit singles in Canada, international stuff, and like eighty five percent of their royalties must be from from Big Bang at this point. Easily. Like, Easily. Crazy. But well, like good for my boys making that bank. Yeah. And and I think that I think that like you gotta two... make a living in the Canadian music industry. Well, I think like two songs of theirs, like from Stunt, were also featured on episodes of Friends. So they're just making that mad yeah. sitcom money. It's yeah. like when, when people think about sitcoms, it's like, oh yeah, we got to get that sweet syndication money. Not not very few bands will think about syndication mm-hmm. money, but the Bandicillas have them. So yeah, exactly. Got to make that and, bank. And yet again, not a comedy band. Not a no, comedy band. Not they're an alternative folk rock band. Well, and that's something that <laughs> some lighthearted comedic influences. That is definitely something that we're going to get into yes. with this episode, the inaugural episode, mm-hmm. because we're talking about the first album, well, the first major album that they released, which was Gordon, debut album yeah. by the Bare Naked Ladies. And that was uh, 28 July 1992. So, I mean, the fact that they're still around and they're still kicking and they're still touring and they're as prolific as they've ever been. It just blows the mind that like everything kind of started and they had released like some EPs and some demos before Gordon. Which like maybe not a good foot to start off with uh, saying that I'm a huge fan of this band starting this podcast. I've never listened to anything before Gordon. Like I've never listened to the yellow tape. I've never listened to like, uh, see, I can't even, I don't even know the, like I know the yellow tape. I know there's like three other cassettes that they released like 18 months before that, but I've never listened to any of them. Should I quit? Should I stop doing this podcast now? No, we will. And this was a very short-lived chronological exploration of the Bare Naked Ladies. Yes. This is like really low stakes to catch a predator. We just invite people onto this podcast. You don't know anything about this you band, You don't know anything you? about this. Get out. Why did you come just here? Just got Wikipedia open in the other window. Uh, um, no, I, you know what? I don't really think that there was a lot there either mm-hmm. in terms of demos and stuff like that. Like it was really just... The yellow tapes and then like speaker's corner that speaker's oh, corner episode. Yeah, speaker's corner thing see i think that also kind of cemented them as like oh yeah no we're wacky we're just a bunch of bunch of weird light-hearted lads doing jokes uh for those of you who don't know the bare naked ladies went and did what was the, what was the what was the what was the song that they it, did it, was Mayoko, it was oh no i think Mayoko. yeah see that's the other thing yes also they're <laughs> probably their their most weird al-esque song <laughs> on that on that record 
very um, much and so. speaker's corner which really like uh in canada especially really heightened their level of visibility at the time and stuff and kind of really gave the impression of like that zombie mayoko ono of being just kind of what the band is when i don't think that's necessarily reflective of the the record overall but I no, I I definitely agree with that. It was kind of I mean, we're gonna get into the tracks. Yes. We keep on saying that and we will, okay. but um and we will. <laughs> but yeah, it's is. it's like that and maybe a couple other songs kind of give it that jokey feel, but there's a lot of mm-hmm. depth to Gordon. So uh released in nineteen ninety two, like you said, um number one single on the Billboard one hundred charts the week of its release, Baby Got Back by Sir Mixalot, to give you an idea of where music was globally at the time. Oh my god, Becky. Wow. Oh my god. We we are not any of those rap girls. That's uh certainly not, no. Um there was one Canadian artist in or the top those ten. rappers. Or those rappers. Or those rappers. There was one Canadian artist in the top ten for this week. Um Tom Cochran, Life is a Highway. That was oh, also Okay. Yeah. Friend of the th- band. Friend of the band, Tom Cochran. Friend of the band, friend of the podcast. Don't fact check that. <laughs> Tom Cochran, if you're listening. Could you please sponsor our podcast? We'd love to have you on around the seventh or eighth episode. Yes. Could we use Life as a Highway as the theme music to our Bare Naked Ladies podcast? I think that will really make sense to the listeners and really tell them what we're all about. Six songs from Gordon made it to the Canadian singles chart. Uh, not the Billboard Hot 100, but, you know, our, our own chart in Canada. I not know that. Yeah, yeah. Enid, second song on the album, was the highest charter, peaking ironically at the number two position mm-hmm. which is pretty good pretty good song even though um Stephen page would go on to say that he was embarrassed by enid later on because he thought it was too wordy i was gonna say really why i don't know he he was just kind of like oh it was like a dissertation essay there were too many lyrics and i'm like but that's I, when, when the lyrics are that good and when you've got that much poignancy it's it, it works and yet again we're like oh, i'm skipping ahead to the, to the stuff i was going to talk about when we do the track by track but like uh the ending monologue of Ina, did I, I could get a job, I could pay my phone bill. Like that was that little couplet along with a confrontation from Les Miserables and uh, End of the World as We Know It, like rapid fire REM lyrics were contests amongst my friends in high school about like, oh yeah, you were cool if you had memorized the entirety of the ends of the world as we know it, or could do the entirety of the end of Enid, or could like successfully do a duet with somebody else and do it doing confrontation from Les Mis. I was a theater kid, still am a theater kid. Anyway. How cool were you if you could do a super smash cut of all of them together? And just blend Never them in? Never tried? Never tried? Uh, I would fear for my sanity. Oh, man. The album as a whole spent eight weeks on the top of the Canadian Albums Chart, and the only two albums to be on the chart longer that year, on the Canadian Albums Chart, Classic Queen by Queen, and Nevermind by Nirvana. That's that's Canada for you. Nirvana, only uh, Canada famous, really. One of the first cassettes I ever owned, Classic Queen. Really? Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got a, a Tower Records right near my high school. Nice. I mean, excellent are... compilation album. Excellent compilation album. Yeah, those are both good albums. They sold a few albums, not just in Canada, I'd imagine. What's on Nirvana? <laughs> uh, it's a very special time in Seattle where... <laughs> <laughs> oh, flannel. So, so that's, that's kind of all of the facts and stats behind Gordon, but I, I really want to know, Ephraim, how does this yeah. album rank with you? I'm not asking you to put a number on it. Mm-hmm. Like, think no, I think of, that is something that we should do in a later episode. 
Probably. I think that I think we'll, we should. We'll get I think absolutely we do. But, uh, getting ahead of ourselves. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. if you had to talk to Gordon, like, is it up there with Bare Naked Ladies? Like, are you a fan of the album? Where is it uh, kind of with I, res- I respect this album. I'm not okay. sure. Just looking at the list of their studio albums right now. Because uh, there's only 15. It's, pro- like, it's probably in my top five just because of it being so classic. But it's definitely not in my top three. Okay. Like, it's probably, it's probably hanging out somewhere around five. Probably because of and again maybe i'll contradict myself later when we go deep into subsequent albums but i feel like it is the one that does have the most kind of oh yes we're just a bunch of light-hearted lads doing jokey songs about bullshit kind of stuff which is not what i necessarily like about the band and i'd kind of forgotten just how many more songs in addition to if i had a million dollars and be my yoko ono are kind of like light comedy songs on the record right. so i guess there's there's a part of me as a fan because i do respect just how like deep their back catalog is and about just how kind of um diverse their songwriting is because it has uh, so many of that subgenre that i think has defined them incorrectly i'm not as a huge a fan of the album but it's still freaking great it's still an absolute banger of a record really weird sequencing mm-hmm. um upon listening to it recently but Fantastic record, not necessarily one of my favorites for personal reasons. <laughs> really interesting because I'm almost the complete opposite with you. Go in, on. in that exactly. Oh, differing opinions and views. I find conflict between the hosts of a podcast. This is the hard hitting stuff that you can expect with every episode. No softballs yes, here from clothes. <laughs> no softballs on clothes. Man, discuss the bare naked ladies. I think that. This album, actually, it's funny that you talk about the silly jokiness of it. This album is actually what kind of opened my eyes to them doing dark and broody stuff. You talking about the sequencing of it is very, very true because it jumps around from like songs about domestic abuse to, hey, if I had a million dollars, like immediately after that. And there's some really beautiful arrangements on this album. There's some amazing harmonies and melodies, which I mean, that's, the same with all of their albums. But I think with this one in particular, hearing that and just a very kind of melancholy sense. There is a lot of nice like juxtaposition on the record. Yeah. Um, Like a really, really dark track or even just a really, uh, like a really sweet folky track, like being followed up by something really, really weird. Like Brian Wilson going into Be My Yoko Ono, going into Wrap Your Arms Around Me. That's very bizarre that's a roller coaster ride of emotions. You're smiling, then you're, then you're crying, then you're smiling some more. And then you're smiling in a different way. <laughs> I think it actually probably would be up there in, you know, maybe my, like my top three or four because mm-hmm. of those reasons. And because just, you know, you talk about it not being one of your favorite for personal reasons. It probably is one of my favorite for personal reasons because I just remember the time in my life when I first listened to this album. And mm. I think out of all of the senses, I think audio and hearing really evokes to me anyways the most powerful images of nostalgia right it just takes me back to a time and this album does and it's really um and this is one i can listen to a lot you know what i mean like it's one of those where i it it has a lot of replayability for me actually Mm -hmm. yeah no it it wasn't until like again i kind of like listened to it like five or six times over the course of the week before we were going to record this episode that yeah it brought back like a 
ton of memories for me of like specifically high school, which uh, like I was not in high school when it came out. I was in high school maybe like eight, uh, like eight years later um, than that. But Gordon, along with Play by Great Big C and like some of the earlier Moxie Fruvis records, that sort of stuff or like, that was all the stuff that, oh, and like, um, like they might be giants. Like that was all the kind of like nerd alternative rock that all of like the friends I had just made in high school were listening to. So it kind of just reminded me of like me being a weird, uh, like a weird theater kid suddenly like being like, oh, hey, I have friends now. Isn't that weird that I like have people that I like, like I'm hanging out with and talking with and like forming relationships, people growing, emotions, all that stuff. Well, let's, uh, I mean, we keep on talking about it. We've alluded yeah. to it, but I think, I think it's the time. Mm-hmm. Let's just get into it. Track one, Hello City. Hello City, hey, another night at the palace, because there is nothing else to do. Oh, oh, uh-huh. Excellent opener. Excellent opener. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's, a, I think it's a very good way to start the album off. Yeah. I know people that have gone on personally guided Hello City tours of Halifax. Uh, cool. There's a friend of my sister's who specifically was like, Gordon, I love that. I love that record. Oh, Hello City. It's all about Halifax. Name dropping all these places. I'm going to go visit all of these landmarks name dropped in this song. I'm going to go to the palace. It must be such a beautiful venue. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. That's... My expectations have been shattered. The palace is pretty much akin to like the double deuce on a bad yeah. night in uh, Roadhouse from what you'll hear a lot of native Nova Scotians talk about. The- like on a scale from one to the silver dollar room, where do you think that is for a Toronto reference? <laughs> oh, maybe like you're going to find blood on some of the surfaces, but it probably okay. won't be yours. Um- Fun fact about Hello City, I didn't know it was about Nova Scotia or Halifax in particular until I visited Halifax uh, when I was 27 years old. How crazy is that? (laughs) Massive fan of the band. And then it wasn't until I was walking down Barrington Street and I remember going, ah, yes. oh, yeah. and I started humming that and I went, wait a minute. The end wait a minute. Of- was this at three o'clock in the morning? Were you hungry? No, no. Did unfortunately, I was- a no. Uh, a Halifax Donair. Oh, right. It would be Donair in Halifax. Oh, Come on, geez. man. We're going to have to edit that so people won't get rookie, upset. Rookie mistake. No, it was, it was very funny. I started humming that. And then it was almost like that end scene of Memento when everything just, start, just clicked. And I went, oh, man, wait a minute. The Palace? Barrington Street? This is, this is the, the city. Warehouse? This is the city. I'm wearing a mock turtleneck. And I haven't showered in days. Now that I think about None it, of these I jokes are going to make any sense if anybody is listening to this podcast because they don't know much about the Bare Naked Ladies. None of those jokes are going to make sense. Listen to the song. Listen to the song. We know. Listen, I'm not changing. We we're know. not changing our material for for our audience. Shame on you. We're no, not dumb. Absolutely no. No, it's it is the children who are wrong. Good opener. Then we go yeah. into uh, Enid. We kind of touched on briefly, and you were, you know, you talked about how, oh, that's a shame. Aside from just the end of the song, do you like the song as a whole? Oh, I do like the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah very, very much so. Yeah, no, it's, um, and yet again, it's, it's, uh, I like it because it's got that, like, really great up, upbeat single, like, track to kind of feel. And, like, it has got that, like, acoustic, folky kind of thing going on. But it's, like, it's a nice breakup song. So it's got that kind of, like, oh, you know, like, sadder material belied by 
by a different tone musically, which I enjoy. Yeah, it's um, kind of like yeah. their all of their greatest strengths kind of condensed into one song. Mm-hmm. You know, they can talk about yeah. stuff that's a bit deeper than those jokey lyrics, but they can do it with a polish where it's just this is still catchy and fun. And again, not that I just have Wikipedia open in the other window, but the band found it interesting that Enid spelled backwards is Dine. Doesn't really have anything to do with the song. Why is that interesting? I don't know. I don't think that's that interesting. That's the beauty of Wikipedia. Anyone can just write anything. So you know it's gonna be it's gonna be good stuff. Also, what is with that weird Depeche Mode thing at the beginning of this song? <laughs> like, I like it, but I don't get it. So, fun fact. I like it, but I don't know why. Uh, fun fact, Andy Cregan's wife actually did that. She built a transistor radio uh, from Radio Shack. <laughs> okay. And they like just, you do. Yep, like you do. One of those kids. Like you they, do. They were, just playing around with, they were just playing around with it, and they thought, oh, this would sound cool. So, it was just out of boredom slash wouldn't this be funny wouldn't this be funny if we we put yep. this on the album it's just like that weird experimental thing but um don't understand it's, yeah and like like i alluded to before stephen page talked about later how he was embarrassed by this song and which actually dovetails into the reason that it's all been done a song that they did uh many years later is so short on lyrics so mm. the chorus of that where it's just woo 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 it was a direct response to him thinking that enid was way too wordy Excellent uh, pop music tool to bring out of your pocket, the woo-woo-woos. Uh, the woo-woos, absolutely. Yeah. Skipping into anecdotes for our, uh, wait, was that, uh, all been, no, that's stunt. That's stunt, isn't it? It's all been okay. done. Okay, we talked about how there's no, there's no linear journey here. Let's just, let's just jump around. No, 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 I was just going to say, no, it's all been done. Uh, one of the first two MP3s I ever downloaded in grade eight. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's all been done, and with or without you by U2, I got my friend to download for me from an FTP server, because nobody had Napster yet. Like, in my grade eight class, we had to, like, give her, like, lists of, like, songs we wanted downloaded, and then burned onto CDs that she would then bring to school to us. Again, not on memory sticks, on burned CDs, because that was the time. And and somewhere in California, Sean Parker was in a dark room going, good, good. <laughs> I'm going to change the world and destroy the music industry. Speaking of going to school and seeing classmates, mm. oh, king of segues, grade nine, <sighs> third track on the album. You're so good at this, Chris. <laughs> this, yeah. this is all post-edit. This is our fifth take Absolutely. doing this. Absolutely. This is me. We've reached my we've reached my first note that I've made on doing research for this track by track. Grade nine, I've all all I've written down is nice rush reference. I can't believe this is track three. I was listening to another music podcast about uh, about the Mountain Goats, uh, which is another one of my favorite bands from also the '90s and like which also has a deep deep back catalog. But their songwriter was one of the hosts of it because they were going through their own albums, and he was talking about how, in his opinion, like the sequencing of a record your first four tracks are the most important ones because 90 percent of people are only going to listen to the first four tracks you have to be able to reel them in with those first four tracks and just thinking about that rule suddenly segueing in from hello city enid grade nine like i feel like it's a it's a great tune but it feels like a b-side or like a track 12 or like a like a back half of side two but so it's just like such a bold choice to put it on as uh, as track three, which I feel is maybe, again, one of the reasons why 
the band kind of developed this reputation for being a comedy band because they led with songs like this again as track three again great tune but yeah it's a funny one i think i think you're right yeah funny haha and also not so yes. ha-ha. You're you're very right this is probably the jokiest song i'd say it does absolutely it definitely mm. seems like a bit of a novelty yoko ono a bit of a yeah i mean i yoko, think yeah Yoko Ono, I think, still has, like, a nice, sweet message, to be honest. Like, it's still very jokey, and, you know, it's got, like, the oh, yeah. band, like, like yeah, very, very stringy. But I feel like grade nine, I mean, it just goes into, it, it's hard to explain. But, I mean, yes, exactly. Sweet Tom Sawyer riff. Sweet, sweet Tom Sawyer riff. Also, it needs to be stated that they didn't sample that. They actually played that riff. It's not like they just took something. Like, that is them playing mm-hmm. that riff, which is yeah, pretty good. Yeah, no, and, and they regularly, uh, being a, a man who has been to many, many Bare Naked Ladies concerts, they just put Tom Sawyer into as much bits of banter as they possibly can. Like, they have, like, it's not just if they play grade nine, because I don't think they play grade nine live very often. I've never heard grade nine played live by the Bare Naked Ladies, but I have heard the solo from Tom Sawyer played live by the Bare Naked Ladies at least once a concert. So I have a feeling they're fans. Probably safe to say. And the fact that Getty yeah. Lee inducted them into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame was probably just a delight. Side note, uh, did I tell you about how I embarrassed myself in front of Getty Lee once? No, <laughs> no ruined, do tell. No, I've ruined this. No, I've ruined, no, no, I've ruined the twist ending. So, um... So back in the early 2000s, when I was on a television program called Falcon Beach up here in Canada, I went to like a charity art auction of some kind that like the show's publicist sent me and a couple of the other actors to. And across the room at this like cocktail party, one of my colleagues says like, hey, isn't that the guy from Rush? And I say, what, really? Because I, again, I did not know anything about Rush at this time. All I knew was that my sister had received a scholarship from Neil Peart, the drummer of Rush, because his like daughter had gone to her high school, and that's a whole other thing. Anyway, so I, I thought maybe it'd be nice if the drummer of Rush knew that the scholarship in his daughter's name was being used for good things. So I said, I'm going to go say hi to this guy and thank him for this scholarship. So I just walk up to this dude and say, excuse me, are you Neil Peart? To which he then goes, no. I said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. T- th- thank you. Take care. And walk away. That man was Getty Lee. I walked up to Getty Lee, the most distinctive looking man in Canadian alternative rock, said, are you a different member of your band? And when he wasn't, are you a different, less famous member of your band? And when he said no, said, oh, sorry, sir, never mind, and walked away. That's also probably the most Canadian rock and roll story I've ever heard, where it's like mistaken identity. You go up to a Canadian singer, and instead of being yelled at, screamed at, or just like punched at. It was just no indignantly. And then you being the polite Canadian actor you are going, I'm terribly sorry. Goodbye. Mr. Lee, I'm sorry. I did not know who you were. You are a legend. I was an idiot. I was a big, dumb dummy. Speaking of rock and roll legends, Brian Wilson, next track. Oh, look at you. Segways. You set them up. Look at that. Brian Wilson. Right now I lie in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Well, I I'm lying in bed, just like Brian Wilson did. Probably one of their biggest songs in terms of just recognition. Um, this is one of those that I think 
people, at least in America, um, have heard of, or, you know, it, it got airplay. Um, That's news to me, because I thought, I honestly thought in the States, it was just one week and the Big Bang Theory theme. Yeah. So, but. so here's the thing. Um, after Maybe You Should Drive came out, I think Rock Spectacle came shortly afterwards, which was their first live album. And mm-hmm. that album did gangbusters in the States, which actually allowed them really? to break through a bit. Yeah. And huh. Brian Wilson was one of the singles off of Rock Spectacle, the live version. And huh. it charted, I think it was not, not very high, but it did chart in the States. So yeah, big, big song. I mean, I've seen them live, I think four, maybe even five times. And mm-hmm. I have not seen a concert where they don't play this song. So yeah. definitely one of their biggest ones. Yeah, beautiful song and absolutely like I think if like somebody does say, Oh yeah, the bare naked ladies, that that comedy band that only does silly songs, I think Brian Wilson is probably like the first like, excuse me, sir, have you listened to this track? It's like it's like the first example I would bring out to say, like, no, they have a lot more depth than you would think. Listen to this song about someone coping with mental illness. That is and it's really funny because the lyrics in this song, I remember the very first couple of lines drove downtown in the rain, 9.30 on a Tuesday night. To me, when I was 13 and I first heard this song, it was like the height of adult independence. I remember just thinking, <laughs> oh man, you know, I'm, I'm living in Scarborough, like in the suburbs of Scarborough, just thinking people go to late night record shops, their things open at 9.30 and they just go on their own to shop. How cool is that? It was the... the oh, that's the dream, man. It someday, really I'll be a, someday I'll be a big boy and can go to the late night record shop. I definitely did not pick up on the right things of this album because this man was thoroughly depressed and had, yeah. you know, agoraphobia, but it was still pretty cool. They're just all incredible musicians and that breakdown at the end really, really shows that, I think. It really does, yeah. And the energy, just, yeah, it's so frenetic, is right. It kind of mm-hmm. all built up to that, up to that breakdown. You know, very sad, somber, frantic song that goes into, well, we've touched on it a lot, Be My mm-hmm. Yoko Ono. You can be my Yoko Ono. You can follow me wherever I go. Be my, be my, be my, be my Yoko so based on based on the, like, the couple of allusions you've made to this, I take it that not a fan. This is I don't, not a huge fan. I do, ugh, it's fine. That's pretty much it. There's there's really not a lot I can. We say shouldn't. About it we shouldn't. They they shouldn't blame it on Yoki. No one ever should. It's an interesting one too because I remember watching. Let's talk more about Brian Wilson. That's how I feel about Yoko Ono. <laughs> interesting about Yoko Ono though, it was featured mm-hmm. on The Big Bang Theory in like the first season which is really weird. Like there's, there's an episode, there's an episode that there's a whole montage set to Yoko Ono. And to me, I'm like, Mm. that's probably just like the bare naked ladies trying to exercise whatever clout they have doing the theme song, just being like, Oh, we've got other songs. Why don't you put this? This would work really well. (laughs) Just trying to, trying to get the hype out for a song that was 20 years old at this point. It is what it is. It's, it's cute. It's folksy. It's not, it's not our cup of tea. In 2020, the uh, and Yoko says like the the weird gibberish thing made me grimace a little bit. Again, not a huge fan. Track five. This is side one still. By your logic, like, people have stopped listening to. Then, then stop listening to the yes. Sorry, excuse me. By by American songwriting legend John Darnielle's logic. We then go into. I think this really speaks to. This is the first real jump. I feel like Brian Wilson. Oh yeah. See yeah. Like, yeah. be my Yoko Ono, because we were, we were jumping around a bit already, you know, with grade nine, mm-hmm. super, super goofy, Brian Wilson, somber, 
Yoko Ono, again, just get into that weird Captain Wacky territory mm-hmm. and then wrap your arms around me. I'm putting my hands around your neck. You wrap your arms around me. I regret every time I raise my voice. God, what a beautiful song. What a great song. What a great song. And I think we were talking a bit earlier about, like, you're saying, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm Brian Wilson. I didn't. I just thought it was a song about being a cool grown-up. I didn't know it was about depression. Until, literally, until listening to the album a couple extra times to, like, prep for this episode, I did not realize that I, like, I think this is a murder ballad of some kind. That is definitely a valid interpretation, listening like, to the yeah, lyrics, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think, he, I think he's going to kill this person. I think, I think the speaker is, I don't know, they might be dead already? I don't know. The harmonies on this are beautiful, too. Yeah. Like, just, again, you talk about musical chops on Brian Wilson, like, hearing Robertson and Page just mm-hmm. completely harmonize on that chorus, absolutely amazing. Well, that's, that's how Robertson and Page first got together, if I'm not mistaken, is they were both, like, counselors at the same music camp or something like that, and mm-hmm. they were just, like, riffing and realized that they just were able to harmonize with each other with no effort whatsoever. And that their voices just sounded incredible together. Oh, what a twist several episodes later. Oh, well. Oh, boy. Oh. Well, maybe if Robertson would just want to do cocaine, <laughs> this all could have been avoided. And we could solve problem solved. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Friends don't let um, friends. <laughs> my only notes on Wrap Your Arms Around Me from, again, my very brief notes, I just wrote, what a creepy-ass song. Yeah, but beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tune. The term hauntingly beautiful is thrown mm-hmm. around a lot these days, it's, but I think that... Yeah, but I think it is thrown around appropriately. Uh, speaking of oddly beautiful songs, What a Good Boy. When I was born, they looked at me and said, What a good boy, what a smart boy, what a strong boy. The, the notes I've got for this one, love this song. The first time I heard it was the live version on disc one. I still don't know what it's about. I know what this song's about. Well, this, I this, think is, we the, know it. this yeah. is the thing is that like so many different people have so many different interpretations. And I've even heard the band kind of <clears> saying, <throat> it's, it's, it's whatever you want it to be about. It's beautiful. Well, that's also true. But like, what's your interpretation? Uh, it's just about gender roles in general. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, when I was born, what a good boy, what a smart boy, what a funny boy. Uh, what uh, a good girl, what a smart girl, what a pretty girl. Pretty girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like pretty versus, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and got these chains hanging around our necks, strangle us with them before our first bat. It's that, like, it's the Monty Python thing about, like, uh, you know, like, is it a boy or a girl? Oh, isn't it a little bit early to be enforcing gender roles on the baby? That line is, a like, I, I think just a really well and concisely written, it's just a comment on the expectations that people have that are put on them uh, simply by being the gender that they are off the top. I found like a, a little soundbite from Stephen Page about the meaning of this song, May I? Yeah, go ahead. So Stephen Page said, and I think this was on maybe the liner notes to Rock Spectacle, or because I remember reading this on the uh, like piano, like I had like a piano book of Very Good Ladies songs that oh, had like so notes cool. on the song when I was a kid. It was like easy to play Rock Spectacle or something. Uh, but Stephen Page said about this song, I've heard so many good interpretations of this song that I'm loath to tell the real story. But suffice to say that it's an idealistic 21-year-old's view of gender roles. And then he goes on to say, however, 
it is one of my favorite songs to sing. And this live version, oh yeah, because it was for the live album, restores the outro left off of the Gordon version. Matchbox 20's Rob Thomas sang, the, sang this with us once in New York City, and he actually did know all the words, just as he'd promised. It was pretty cool, as most musicians won't admit to knowing the words to any of our songs. <laughs> There you go. We were both right. I like, I like that. Yeah. It's, it's nice when that yeah. happens. <laughs> Still, all I could think was, I wish I could sing this one. Meanwhile, I'm sure he was thinking, I wish Carlos Santana were here. <laughs> Words of wisdom from Stephen Page. That's a, clearly, he was writing these liner notes when Smooth was all over the radio. <laughs> Ex- absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, but no, I th- yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's just like a, just a meditation on uh, like conformity and, and, uh, gender roles and things and uh, i definitely can see that i think i might just be looking too much into it because i'm very easily susceptible i'm the pretty much prototypical did you have any alternative uh alternative views of the lyrics so this is the weird thing is that i was kind of along with you with that interpretation when you first hear it you're Mm -hmm. like oh yeah this is exactly what it's about the dangers of you know if your friends were jumping off a bridge would you too i would be there in a heartbeat in the sense that like someone tells me something and I will immediately change my mind. So I think when I heard Stephen Page, that little clip, I didn't, I, I don't think I heard the first bit of it just about him saying, yeah, it probably it is about gender roles, but mm-hmm. him kind of saying, Oh, there's different interpretations. And I went, and I just immediately went, well, maybe mine's wrong. And also just when it gets into the course, be with me tonight, it sounds like it's two separate songs. The lyrics don't seem to match up. So I thought, Oh, maybe my, my view was completely wrong, but I'm glad to know that what you're saying is kind of what I initially thought. And I think it's very true. I think it's very easy to kind of take the song that way. It, God, I, I love the song. It's such a good it's song. A great. Oh, it's such a good song. Yeah. And again, it's one of those ones that this isn't something that a jokey band would do. No, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Yet again, one of the, absolutely one of the first tracks I would think of if someone was saying, Oh yeah, the Bare Naked Ladies, that comedy band. I'm like, have you listened to Brian Wilson? Have you listened to What a Good Boy? But, you know, they kind of double down on it uh, and change your mind again with the next song, The King of Bedside Manor. So again, they take one of those twists going back to Jokey Town. The King of Bedside Manor. Yeah, yet again. Again, not a huge fan of this song. I'm noticing now, I'm just not a big fan of the three jokey songs on this one. Like, yeah, Grade Nine, Yoko, and Bedside Manor. King of Bedside Manor is a weird one because I didn't give it a second thought when I was listening to it. It was one of those, I actually don't skip over any tracks on Gordon. Like, I'll just listen to it complete. But I'm just like, eh, it it is what it is when it came out. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was researching it, again, for this podcast, and learning that, like, they got into a serious weird kind of not writer's block but rut when they were trying to record this live in the studio and so one of them i don't know who it was but someone threw around the idea that let's record it naked in the studio so they all got naked yeah they got into the studio and that is the take that ends up on the album and i don't like this story I don't like where this is going. This, this, this story makes me uncomfortable. I don't like this, guys. But, but that's the funny thing. <laughs> but, that, yes, I know. That, no, 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 no. It's funny that you say uncomfortable. I think now going back and re-listening to it, you can actually hear that nervous energy and just the uncomfortableness of the band too. Like they're going so quick. Like there's this weird warble and there's like half the time it sounds like both Robertson and Paige are trying not to laugh. It's that nervous laughter. So I kind of appreciate it that way. 
Yeah, yeah, it's like after after hearing this story, because again, I'm also then reading my own feelings into this, that nervous energy translates in like when I hear it, knowing that story, I just hear like, please God, let this song end soon. Like, please let us, please let us finish this recording process so we can put our clothes back on and bury this memory in the back of our brains and never speak of it again. Um, except obviously they did because the anecdote is out there in the world now. It actually had like five more verses, <laughs> but they were just like, let's, let's keep going. Box set. Box set is uh, is the next track. Disc one, it's where we've begun. It's all my greatest hits. And if you are a fan, then you know that you've already got it. Yeah. Us, yet again, okay. So never mind. No, I don't. Li- I don't dislike all of the jokey songs on this on this album. I really like Box Set. This is a great song. And also, Bedside Manor sounds like a joke song, but the lyrics aren't really funny. Yeah, that's like, actually but true. It sounds like a comedy. Like that's the thing. It's like I was just calling a comedy song. You're like, but there's nothing really funny about the lyrics. It's just it just sounds funny. Yeah, they put out like a shock jocks soundboard in this in this song and just like hit a whole of a bunch I of. I want to know who buttons. is playing that soundboard. <laughs> Let's check the lines. I mean, they were already pontificating on being famous, which is very funny. Um, and yes. then and then they went on and used disc one for their greatest hits, which is quite mm-hmm. funny. And it was a sweet payoff, you know, 10 years in the yep. making. Uh, when, good callback. Good callback. I really do like this album. It, it is kind of jokey, but it's also got a weird kind of sense of, well, not weird, I guess, when you listen to the lyrics, but it's got a sense of almost angry bitterness to it. Which you get two tracks later on another song, which is maybe one of my favorite my favorite songs on the yes. record. Yeah, because it kind of like that same kind of theme is brought up again on New Cat on the Block, which is, I really like that song. I'm so glad yeah. you said that because I have the exact same feeling. I feel like those two songs yeah, are weirdly of, tied together. Yeah, they feel kind of like two different meditations on the same theme, which I really, really like. But they're broken up by I Love You. I love you. And you love me i love you so let's make a family tree which is i i'm, I'm I gonna love say this okay yet again oh dissenting opinion this is great chris you're oh. looking at the notes i sent you yeah it, it is yeah, my least I love favorite this song it is my least favorite song on the album why tell me what tell me more <sighs> i appreciate what they're doing it's a very different because this this album probably more than any of their other albums they're trying different things in different genres like yeah. you've you've got some jazzy stuff you've got some funk you've got a lot of different things they're trying to do this one i don't know like i can i can appreciate for what it is it's just not my cup of tea see that, that, see but that's that's kind of one of the things like i wish they still had that jazz influence on some later albums because this is just a straight up jazz track. Like, yeah, yeah. My, my note on this song, it just says, I love you, colon, jazz in big bold letters. Meaning like, yeah, they start off like with the, they have the stand up bass, they have like the beautiful keys, like they have like, uh, like the, there's a lot of jazz kind of influences on Hello City as well. And again, yeah, I love you is absolutely straight up just a jazz song. Um, and I really, really miss that. Like, I, I wish that they had continued to do more stuff in the vein of uh, Hello City and I Love You on greater, on a, sorry, I'm not greater, on a, on later records. Because well, I think that it's really good because like their, their harmonies fit with that kind of aesthetic as well. No, they, they definitely do. And I do like the jazz elements of this album. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I, I don't jazz. know. I mean, again, we talk about me being 
easily swayed. So now you're saying that you love him. Maybe I'll just come yeah. back next week. I'll be like, I'm, I'm with you. This, this, I've, I've changed around. I've pivoted. <laughs> so aside from, is, is it just the jazziness and the experimental nature of it? Is that what makes you love this yeah, song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the jazziness. I think the harmonies are really, really great. Yeah, I think that the arrangement is really, really beautiful. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it just sounds very different from anything else on the album, except for Hello City, uh, which has those same kind of influences. So I like that it comes kind of like brings back those those sounds from earlier in the record. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's a, I don't know, it's a nice song to dance to. It's a nice, light, slow dance kind of song. I like it. I do remember one of the reasons I might not like it too, is that earlier version of this album I had was a bootlegged copy like that someone had burned for me and the song cut halfway through one of them so I actually missed like a good like 90 seconds of the song which I always thought do it yeah yeah, which is again a lesson pay for your music people (laughs) yes yeah yeah, mooches after I talked about pirated mp3s in grade eight a big part of gold on discs no a big a big part of this album is us yelling at our 14 year old selves hey you cheapskate what what was wrong with you? <laughs> but a song that we can both agree on that we do love, New Kid on the Block. We touched New Kid on the Block. Uh, Great. Oh. The line, I can, I can break dance, I can fight, I can kick your sorry ass. Love that line. So good. And I just, yeah, I just, I never thought I'd have any empathy for the Backstreet Boys until I heard this song. Like, it just really, I don't know, just really, I don't know, just really puts you into the shoes of this protagonist that they're writing about. Stephen Page, like, sings the hell out of this song, too. When it gets to the second or, like, the the, the near the end, like, he's really giving it his all. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a song that I used as transition music when we did a rocket scientist show. I remember I was in yep. charge that time of the transition. I'm like, I'm going to put this song in just for no other reason. I'm just like, this is a good song. I think that it would be good to, to connect and I want to have something to listen to while we're arranging chairs in the dark. And, uh, and also because I did not explain this reference earlier, if anybody out there is listening that does not know us personally, and I know the odds of that are very, very low, but if any of you strangers are <laughs> out there, Chris and I used to be in a sketch troupe together called The Rocket Scientists. That's what we're talking about. End of story. Continue. We're going to plug the shit out of it. <laughs> yes. We're going to yes, plug the our, shit our out now, of our defunct sketch Our now troupe. defunct sketch troupe that hasn't, <laughs> that hasn't done a show in five years, tried to do a new sketch six months ago, and then said, yeah. <laughs> We're the avatar two of sketch troops, you know? It's like, you know, <laughs> yes. we, we, we've, we haven't been doing we'll anything for six... We haven't been doing anything for six years and then COVID happens and then, you know, James Cameron's like, yeah, that's the reason we're not doing anything now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wow, uh, that is exactly what happened with us. Is, oh, Jesus. We are... We are just as important as James Cameron to the cultural milieu. You're absolutely right, Chris. His, his films have only grossed slightly more than our shows did. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Blame it on me. God, you speak, talk about harmonies. I, I love this song. This is mm-hmm. an amazing track. Uh, you talked about the wordplay from New Kid on the Block. God, the wordplay in this song. Wax poetic while yeah. you're waxing your legs. Just and and also again, like funny anecdote about me listening to this when I'm 13, 14 years old. I talk about yeah. the height of ad- adultness is going to a late night record shop. But at the beginning of the song, when it's like you think you're so smart, but I've seen you naked, I'll probably see you naked again. 
to me, having never seen a naked lady in the flesh at that point, mm-hmm. I was just like, this is going to be, oh my God, that's just, it's so, so adult, so grown up. Again, just, I was, oh God, I was such a nerd. I, just something about that line is very much like, it's the ultimate trump card. I now do the, like, I, I do like that you've had several anecdotes about this record so far that you're talking about you being a young man listening to this record and thinking, oh man, what what deep uh, adult themes are being explored um, on this record that was widely thought of as being more juvenile. So again, maybe that's where maybe that's where we came at this uh, this album earlier in our lives. But what do you, what um, do you think speaking, of this? And also speaking of yeah, so we were talking earlier about you didn't you didn't have a good handle on what what a good boy was about, but I had uh, like a pretty confident theory. I don't I have no idea what Blame It On Me or The Flag are about. Those are two songs that I just I really like musically, but I have not really thought a tremendous amount about the lyrics of. So yeah. So I think that Blame It On Me is probably just about a couple who's been in a relationship for a long time. And just the, the the fights that you're gonna have, to be honest. I think it's Oh just, yeah, that tracks. That tracks. Yeah. Just about, you know, all else fails, blame it on me. Mm-hmm. When when you're frustrated and you don't know how to explain it to your partner, it, it it's just the familiarity that you have, you know, at that mm-hmm. stage, you know, talking about absence. And again, like I said, like you think you're so smart, but I've seen you naked and I'll probably see you naked again. That is the ultimate trump card. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, we're fighting right now. And Such you think a that you've got the lyric. It, it, like, the way that I, I think it's actually kind of sweet to an extent now that I've grown up a bit, yeah. just kind of being like, well, it's the Trump, yeah. like you can look at it. Well, I guess like, depending yeah, on like, how you read it, right? Yeah. Because I'm just kind of thinking, you know, yeah, you think you're so smart. You think you have the upper hand, but I mean, like, come on, like we've, we we're so comfortable with each other. Like, is this worth it? Like we're going to, we're going to mm-hmm. see each other naked again later on because mm-hmm. this is not going to be the end of this relationship. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. And I think dovetailing into like the second, you know, uh, the flag, which is the next track. You should know that by now, when the checkered flag comes down. And we'll go right into that. I think mm-hmm. God, I think by far one of their darkest, if not the darkest song they have, because to me, the way that I interpret these lyrics is it's full on about domestic abuse. This is about a violent domestic relationship that has gone horribly wrong like this is someone calling their partner and saying oh it got out of hand last night and then they still come over and the other one is like why am i doing this it's a it's the cycle of abuse to me sure is a novelty comedy band guys (laughs) (laughs) and i think the flag is yeah it's just no when the checkered flag comes down no one's won Mm because in this scenario they're both caught in this cycle of violence yeah, I think the flag was also one of those songs that, yeah, like especially in high school, um, like friends of mine who liked this band would immediately point to along with Brian Wilson as being like, oh no, they're more than just had a million dollars. Well, yeah, the the first yeah. time that I heard this song, it was shocking. It was just, oh, mm. oh my God. It also justifies why Jim Cregan plays an upright bass because, you know, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. got those sweet bows. Is that how you play an upright bass? You can tell I'm not a musician. Yeah, those sweet bows. <laughs> It's true. Hey, it's got some sweet bowing going on there. <laughs> Mighty bow sound you got in there. This is probably the biggest example too now of that switch from dark to light where you go from their darkest song to, again, the song that made them millionaires, the bane of their existence, of, as they've said half-heartedly, if I had Have a million they? dollars. If I had a million dollars 
have they said it's the bane of their existence in a very like joking kind of like okay we we know what we're gonna do it was i remember just they they said something where it was just oh this is the song you know it, it made us real millionaires it mm-hmm. caused people to pelt us with craft dinner boxes and then in brackets it was just please stop <laughs> I have I have talked many many too many times earlier in this episode about how I'm not a huge fan of the like novelty comedy side uh, mm-hmm. of this record. I love this song. If I had a million sure. dollars, is like yeah, like that's this song lands with the right amount of that levity for me. Especially because like uh you know if you're listening closely because they I I'd buy your love, like that's pretty that's kind of, that's got a nice bittersweet kind of like not dark necessarily but like oh this is clearly a song about it's like it's it's a song about jokes and what you'd buy with a lot of money but it's also a song about longing and that's sweet yeah it's it's yeah, almost like, like a love yeah. song if you interpret it in a mm-hmm. different way yeah you're just talking about yeah, everything absolutely. that you would buy for for your loved one it also pretty much personifies what they are and what they're known mm. for their witty onstage banter friends of the show Fratwurst. i mean they don't know if ah, they're yes. friends of the show yet because it's our first episode but yes. um i always think of this song when i think of their facebook friend sketch that they did many years ago which was again it's i'm not gonna really do it justice but um toronto sketch group Fratwurst did a sketch where they pretended to be the bare naked ladies and they just sang a song that they made up and it was absolutely amazing and just riffed on the fact that they're just known for their witty onstage banter <laughs> who played who which one of the played Stephen page in that sketch it was josh josh yeah those oh, yeah, glasses because... really made that uh really made that oh yeah that's right because really the, the, the very opening line of that sketch was thanks for joining the band again Stephen." and he just went i had nothing else <laughs> This is this is a good song for me to talk. One of my one of my notes I made on just the album in general uh, is I kind of miss Andy Cregan. Mm. Like his keys on this record are just so evocative, and like I can and Kevin Hearn does a really good job of playing that same kind of style in uh, later later albums. But like specifically the keys yeah. on if I had a million dollars just. Oh, I don't know how to describe it. They're just they're just beautiful. They're just like just a really beautiful keyboard part yeah and it kind of has this weird kind of like vaguely like alt country kind of feel to it as well which i really, <laughs> really like so yeah the the mf and cregans man yeah the bass and the keys on this whole record back to front absolutely fantastic i love them i wish andy was still in the band i still love kevin why can't they have two piano players why can't they have two piano players <laughs> why not both <laughs> No, it, it it is great. And yeah, Andy Cregan really does. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't an acrimonious split. Like, you know, they're, they're all still friends mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, they, yeah. they've released a couple of solo albums aptly titled The Brothers Cregan. I, th- I think you're exactly right. It's, he was so talented. Was as if he's dead. Um, he is so talented. He was so talented when he was with them. Kevin, wait, Kevin, let me just switch to Google. Is Andy Cregan... Dead. I'd really like to know what autofill gave for you. Is Andy Cregan? What? What's Andy Cregan? <laughs> no, no, he's still alive. He is still alive. Everything's phew. All right, good. This I hope that this podcast isn't one of those podcasts where there's weird death curses where you talk no. about something and it's like, oh no. And then next and then, episode starts. This episode is dedicated to Andy Cregan. <laughs> in loving we don't know what in we're doing. Loving memory of Andy Cregan. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, and and finally. <laughs> and finally we we end on crazy cuz i'm just crazy crazy, crazy, crazy. Just like you 
Which is just kind of a nothing close. Again, really? Yeah. A nothing close? Yeah. A nothing, really? I, oh, I'll fight you. Like, yeah, because this song feels the same as I love you to me. Okay. Yeah. Because right. I like, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just musically, I think it's, it's, it's quite deep. I think the harmonies are fantastic. I like this song a lot because it also brings back that uh, thing. And it, it's not, there's not as much of it on If I Had a Million Dollars, but. Yeah, like I love you, Hello City, Million Dollars, and Crazy are kind of the songs that I can feel the jazz the most. I can feel the jazz, okay, um, the most on those four songs, and I like it a lot. Yeah, all right, that's that's cool. You know what? It's you know this this is good. If we agreed on I don't everything, believe, it would I don't be think kind you of thinking that's cool. I don't think that you think it's cool from <laughs> cool. the tone of your voice. I don't think you. I'm I'm kind of understanding now why bands break up. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> just I guess agree to disagree. Oh, all right, okay. Well. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. No, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just a bit of a, a bit of a letdown for me in the sense that like, I just, hmm. maybe it's that I think if I had a million dollars would be the perfect close to this album. I don't think anything needs to come after it. I think if crazy maybe happened earlier in the album, yeah. I might right. have a, a warmer reception to it. But I think after ending, like you've got the flag, which is so depressing. And then if I had a million dollars is almost like the palate cleanser from all that darkness in your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you go from a really bad relationship to be like, well, if I had a lot of money, I'd. <laughs> yeah, like... you know what? That logic, I can, I can absolutely buy. I can actually absolutely buy that feeling about just like, oh, you know what? Yeah, if I had a million dollars, this Stone Cold classic should have ended the album. And yeah, it just doesn't need a coda. I just love the coda. Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like you're almost like you're going to like hit the pause of the CD and it goes like, oh, oh, wait, okay, there's more, I guess. And then you do hit the pause and then there's an extremely long hidden track at the end, which is bizarre. Yeah, and I think that that's another <laughs> thing that just kind of makes the whole thing overstay its welcome. I think this, this yeah. song makes the album overstay its welcome to me, to be completely honest. I think that yeah. if... Again, I think if you switched up the track order would be better, but for this, it's not that mm. I dislike the song. I think it is just, it ends the album mm. on a whimper rather than a bang. Yeah, now that I look at it, it was like, yeah, 15 songs, that is a lot. That's a long track listing mm. for a studio record. Um, it's just, I would absolutely keep crazy on the record and just get rid of King of Bedside Manor because I still just don't get that song, but that's okay. <laughs> and that is, that is Gordon. That is, that is Gordon. That is all 15 tracks. But yeah, I mean, we had some agreements, we had some disagreements, and that's really cool. I mean, that's one of the fun things about doing this podcast is that um, hearing your insights and seeing, you know, where we kind of both were on the same page and other times where we were just completely mm -hmm. in different camps is a yeah. really cool thing. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing like uh, two very, like uh, not very different, but like two different perspectives on the, the same record. That means a lot to us from uh, like both our current lives and the uh, earlier stages in our lives. That's really neat. Yeah. I just hope that other people will agree. I hope other people will uh, enjoy hearing two different yeah. perspectives mm -hmm. as well. Okay. okay, so now that we've done a track by track though, in general, Gordon, what do you think? Final thoughts. Final thoughts. A very strong debut from a very strong band. I think that a lot of these songs are actually on disc one, 10 years later, which was their yep. greatest hits album. I think that says a lot to it. The fact that, you know, you've got five or six tracks off of their debut album. That's huge. I think that when I think about bands and killer debut albums, this one always comes up to me. Very strong stuff. 
I think that it really left an immediate impression, especially when you think about what music was at the time, a lot of grunge, a lot. And mm. they, they got into that, which we will explore next week. Yeah. Hint. Uh, that's a stay tuned. And just a lot of that's, you know, right in the height of death row records. So there's a lot of West coast, East coast rap. This was not either of those things. So I nope. think, um, I think it was an important album. I think it was just, yeah, really, really, I think just really strong debut when I think about it. Final thoughts is that, mm-hmm. I mean, it was what a, what an introduction to the band. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Ex- uh, extremely, extremely strong debut album. Again, as we talked about earlier, it's not, it's not necessarily one of my like top five favorite albums of theirs for me personally. But if I'm think if I'm talking about the record objectively, I think it is absolutely their second, if not their first most important album to the band in general because it's like it's just got so many stone cold classic tracks on it that made them famous and allowed them to like take that springboard and become the band that they are thoughts of my own not a huge fan of the com of a lot of the comedy stuff on it but i mean that's is one of the things that they were doing i'm glad that they moved away from that on some later records i am not as happy that they moved away from the jazz on later records i miss the jazz I miss Andy Cregan. Those are my final thoughts. Miss the jazz. I like that. That's going to be the subtitle. This is going to be the the subtitle of this episode. (laughs) Ephraim misses the jazz. (laughs) Do you have any idea what the heck is with the, at the end of New Kid with the, oh, 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 oh. Is that a reference to something? Is that a song Um, reference? Because I keep thinking that is, must be a reference to a specific song. No, actually. I don't know what it is. No, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't really haven't picked up on that before i'm gonna have to go back and listen to that track and see yeah, there's uh, a bit i'm like is that like is that a new kids or like is that a bit from a new kids song or is it just a yeah i, I mean know. i wouldn't be surprised yeah always a bit that i always hang along with in the car I or just, maybe I just love that moment in that song or maybe it's just another obscure football stadium it's possible <laughs> ah more anecdotes for next week sorry not next week couple episodes anyway this is what you can expect for future episodes. Again, uh, 15 albums. So uh, it's going to be great getting into each one of those. But in between episodes, Ephraim, where can people find you? You want to plug your socials? Do you want to say, uh, do you've got any projects coming up? Uh, what's happening in your uh, life? Yeah so, uh, yeah, so socials, you can find me on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis, uh, spelt like my name. Uh, and uh, you can kind of find me on Twitter also at Ephraim Ellis, but I haven't really been on, t- I'm, act- I'm kind of sincerely debating getting off Twitter in general, just considering the news cycle. I don't know. It's a stressful place to be, but I'm there sometimes. Come say hi. Yeah, you can you can find me at, uh, on Twitter on csmall201. I'm also very upset about the news cycle, but that's why I just pretty much uh, write about pro wrestling. And you can also <laughs> find me on Instagram at csmalltraveler. You can follow my exploits in lockdown in Victoria, where I have been brewing beer, trying to uh, gain some weight by working out and also podcasting. So uh, we talked about it earlier, but it's like I've got my uh, Joe Rogan starter pack going. Uh, so follow along with my adventures there. Um, this is Clothed Men Talk About Naked Ladies. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Maybe You Should Drive, the sophomore album, Sophomoric Slump. Spoiler alert, this is one of, uh, this may be one of my favorites. There we go. Stay More tuned for that. Later, yeah. 
stay tuned for thoughts on that later uh this has been the inaugural episode big shout out to jonathan langdon for the intro song that you heard and the outro song you're about to hear amazing artist amazing comedian until next week uh take it easy ephraim pleasure as always see you next week yourself as well chris <laughs>